Welcome to Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And we're here to discuss Season 3, Episode 5 of Farscape. Different Destinations. The beginning of this episode really throws me off because it's really, really funny for the first, like, 15 minutes or so. There, There's a lot of lightness in even the first half of this episode, and then... And then that stops. <laughs> it's, um... I kind of feel bad comparing it to this show, but... It's very Scrubs in that it's like, oh, this is all so funny, and now Brendan Fraser is dying. Yeah. I, I was thinking more how the biggest example would be the puppet episode of Angel, how a lot of the time shows, you know, before a really dark episode have a more comedic episode. It's also not a great example, but, you know, the funny robot episode in season five that immediately precedes the body. Right, I was made to love you. Although that also has an incredible downer ending. Well, story time... Storytime, right? That's the name of the... Smile Time. Smile Time, thank you. That's the Angel Puppet episode. Smile Time is, like, thought of as a funny episode. I mean, it's puppets. He's a wee little puppet man. But, uh... It's got some legitimately creepy stuff in it. The scene where... The scene where we see the puppets operating the guy as a puppet, like, legit give me a full-ass adult nightmares. Like... Oh, I thought you were going to say when when they're establishing the threat and the woman comes into the room after uh, her son was watching the TV show and she finds him on the ground with the rictus smile on his face. Okay, so I haven't watched the show since we had a child and I bet that episode would def- that part would definitely hit me a lot harder right now. So it, speaking of, those of you who follow us on Twitter or on Facebook probably saw me mention that I was nervous about rewatching Different Destinations because it's one of my favorite episodes and I was hoping it would hold up because it's been a while since I watched it. And again, I haven't watched it since before we had a child and still very good, still one of my favorite episodes. But man, man, did it hit me harder. I was basically sobbing through the whole last half of it. Mm. I, uh, did not warn you that this was a dark episode. You did not warn me going in, no. I was very much caught off guard. But, but how, what did you think? Oh, I think it's one of the better Farscape episodes. <laughs> oh, it actually made me feel kind of bad for Jewel, which I was not expecting because, God, I hate Jewel so much. I think maybe they realized that the way to get the audience to like Jewel was to just have everybody be so mean to her. I mean, she's basically the Jerry of this show. I meant specifically Parks and Rec Jerry, but I guess Jerry from Rick and Morty also fills sort of the same narrative niche. In fact, she might be more the Jerry from Rick and Morty because, like Jerry from Rick and Morty, she kind of deserves a lot of the hate, but then there's so much of it that you're like, what is happening? Mm. Whereas Jerry on Parks and Rec is like, why does everyone hate Jerry? But it's okay. He's got a great life, so it doesn't even matter. I mean, that Jerry kind of deserves it, too. Remember, uh... The Harvest Festival, where, like, everyone was being way too mean to him about the incident where, you know, little Sebastian got out, but also it was directly his fault. No, no, it wasn't. It was completely Tom's fault. They just blamed Jerry. I thought he was doing something, like, it it seemed like it was Tom's fault, but he was also, like, eating corn dogs or something. Well, I mean, Tom was the one who was supposed to be watching him. Like, it was Jerry's ultimate responsibility, but it was Tom being distracted by his phone that, that... was the ultimate problem. Yeah. So, yeah, it was totally Tom's fault. 
Jerry Gurkich did nothing wrong. <laughs> so, the beginning of this episode is also a little weird because we start with such a huge exposition drop, but it, it's okay. It makes sense because John is talking to Dargo and he's like, okay, so we are at a memorial and... At this memorial, there are goggles that you put on, and when you put on the goggles, you can see into the past, and you can actually see what happened. And now, let me describe to you what happened in the past. Okay. It's a little clunky. I I, I never really thought about how clunky it was till this time through, but, you know, it's, it's fine. It makes sense that John would be explaining it to Dargo, because John is totally the kind of person that reads the, uh, the tourist brochure pamphlet, and Dargo is just the person who walks around. <laughs> Okay, I do like that they have, I kind of missed this the first time around, I do like that we see John and Dargo looking through the helmet so that they can see when the peace thing was uh, signed, because I kind of thought that, I, I missed this the first time around, and I kind of thought he just put the helmet on Stark without looking at it first. No, 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 they, they and I assume John's been watching it for a while because it cycles through the whole thing. Yeah. So, just to establish what this memorial is... 500 cycles ago, there was an attack on this settlement, on this settlement, on this planet, by the Venex, who are not the Benex. Really, you shouldn't go with that name. You should pick another name. There, the Venex are like cat people. Mm-hmm. So there was an attack by the cat people on this planet and the you remember the 80s beauty and the beast tv show that's exactly what they look like yeah yes oh my god also did jim henson do that i'm pretty sure jim henson company did the beast in that beauty and the beast yeah he might have starring god ron perlman wait what's that what's that voice ron perlman's awesome it's a weird role for ron perlman though where he's like the sexy cat man i don't have a problem with Ron Perlman being the sexy cat man. I mean... Okay, I don't want to... I, I, I don't want to veer into this because it feels like kind of sexist and reductive. Because women do enjoy regular porn. Mm-hmm. But the whole TV show had a real porn for women vibe to it. Where, like, you've got this sexy cat man protector who you... Basically, oh, the the beauty in the show was like a district attorney or something. Yeah, Linda Hamilton, played by Linda Hamilton. Yeah, and they just have this relationship that's all, you know, him reading poetry to her and, you know, the two of them having like very romance cover-y dates and stuff. Yeah. Where it's just this... It's it's very like, well, I mean, it's all in the sewers, but it's very windswept. Yeah, it's it's like aggressively romance novely, but as a TV show. Mm-hmm. And they don't ever actually have sex, except for one time apparently they do off-screen, so when she gets killed and replaced by someone else in the uh, third season, he can be looking for his kid that he apparently had with her. Okay, that I did not know. I I, I only ever watched, you know, one or two episodes of it. Um. Yeah, in the third season, they... Uh, they wanted to shake up the show, mm-hmm. so they killed her off and they replaced her with a lady cop. I didn't know that. Oh, that's not cool. And everyone hated it. Yeah, because it turned out that like she was, she was kidnapped by this guy, and then she was pregnant with uh, Vincent's baby, and like she died in captivity. Like she died, and the guy had the baby, and Vincent was trying to find the baby. 
Oh, and the new woman is the cop. I'm, I'm looking at the Wikipedia entry right now because I'm trying to determine if Jim Henson Studios did, in fact, do the makeup. Um, and the woman who takes over the, the lead role is the cop who's investigating her murder. Yeah. That's not cool. Well, I mean, it tanked the ratings. I don't know if the ratings were already in trouble because I know the second season was a lot more like... Let's help out that underground sewer society that Vincent's dad, Vincent was the beast, that Vincent's dad founded. So it was a lot of like goofy adventure of the week stuff, which kind of was pivoting away from the, you know, grand romance of the first season. I'm recounting a lot of this secondhand. I never really watched the show, but I read a bunch about it. Yeah. So this show came out in 1987. So Mm -hmm. you were not yet born. I was not yet born. And I was just a child. Mm-hmm. But I do remember seeing ads for it everywhere, and it was just so much in the culture. Although the thing that I know most about this show is that it is one of the first shows that George R. R. Martin wrote on. Really? Yeah. Uh, I guess that explains what happened to Catherine. Damn! <sighs> Alright. I think I might have just made up in my head that it was Jim Henson Studios. I'm sorry, Farscape. Alright, so one of the important things about this battle is that it is an instance of the peacekeepers genuinely being heroic. This is... Actually keeping peace. Yeah, well, I think that this is, you know, one of the aspects of Farscape that is even more relevant today than when they were making it. That the peacekeepers aren't just cartoonishly evil. They're a cartoonishly evil fascist force that came that that came out of a society that was not initially like that. Mm. They they devolved into a fascist regime. I think that that's uh an interesting thing to explore mm. in fiction. But this was 500 years ago. This was a time when the peacekeepers were genuinely heroic. They were contracted by various planets to come and you know, keep the peace, to protect them from, a, you know, attacks. And this is an instance where the peacekeepers came and they were protecting the planet. They were completely wiped out protecting this planet, the, the force that was sent. And uh, we get Aaron telling Jewel what happened in the battle from her point of view, because she learned about this in military school, and Jewel is like, oh, well, if the peacekeepers taught you this at school, this is definitely true. Yeah, the peacekeeper forces were basically annihilated by the cat people, but one soldier managed to live long enough to negotiate peace while, you know, bleeding and organs coming all out of all of his niblets and stuff. Yes, yes. Uh, Dacon was his name. Dacon. And he... Died negotiating the peace, and when the cat people saw that there were no more military people, they made a peace, which they never did, and so now this place is a memorial to peace. Mm. And Jules like, whatever, propaganda, which, I mean, honestly, fair, I That's what but... I would have said, too. <laughs> I, I'd have been like, oh, okay, Aaron, whatever you say. And they start fighting, and Dargo's like, ladies, ladies, please, no fighting in the war room. I mean, the peace Memorial. Memorial. Jules familiar with peacekeepers? I... Oh yeah, we we've known that since she woke up. When she woke up, she was like freaked out about peacekeepers. She was she's been anti peacekeeper since she came to. Okay, so they have to stay on the planet while Rigel's fixing something, 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 something. Yes, some uh, 
some plot device is uh, having them on the planet while they do something on the ship. And they're not just being tourists. I mean, they are, but it's mostly to kill time while Rigel fixes whatever. Yeah, and there's no you reason could... not to be. Yeah, I mean, like you could just hang out on the ship if this is being. But I mean, well, I mean, I I'm sure Aaron probably wanted to check it out because it's this is a big deal for peacekeepers. Jewel didn't need to come. It's weird that, well, okay, here's why Jewel needed to come. Plot reason. Yes. Uh, I mean, the the plot reason that Jewel needed to come is that once they go back in time, spoilers, they go back in time. Once they go back in time, someone needs to escape to the present to let the people on Moya know what's going on. Mm. And the people on Moya are Chiana and Rigel, and Pilot, obviously, duh. (laughs) (laughs) Goes without saying. Yes. And Rigel is in Zan's room going through her stuff, and Chiana comes in and is like, what are you doing? And he's like, same thing you were going to do, looting Zan's stuff now that she's dead. And Chiana's like, yeah, I don't really want to, though, because I miss her. And Rigel's like, yeah, me too. Down on the planet, Stark is also very sad about Zan's death, because obviously. obviously. He tells John that he can't hear her voice, which mm-hmm. seems like a big thing, because doesn't he hear all of the voices of the people he's guided into death? Yeah, yeah. So, I guess she's just all the way into death then. She was like, vroom. Yeah, she's like, okay, I'm done with this plane of existence. See ya, suckers! And John's like, hey, why don't I distract you by showing you something good? Why don't we look and see a moment where peace was achieved? A moment where things were looking up, and then maybe you won't feel so down. Zan was all about peace, right? I mean, I I knew Zan. She was all about peace. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, he puts the helmet on Stark, and look, I'm not saying that they're making John behave stupidly in this episode, but I definitely would have said, hey, do you think the fact that Stark has, like, a mystical force inside of his head that leads people to death might interact strangely with the window to the past helmet? Honestly, I don't feel like one could reasonably expect that to be coming, but John should have listened to Stark because Stark was like, please don't put that helmet on me. I'm too sad to look at history. So John was being kind of a jerk by being like, no, I'm going to make you feel better whether you want me to or not. But yeah, putting, putting the past seeing helmet on the star head guy results in them being flung into the past and Stark having this, like, weird psychic death vision of everyone at the fortress being slaughtered. Yeah, so I'm not sure if what Stark is seeing is the slaughter that was happening leading up to the peace uh, negotiations, or if he's seen what's going to happen in this episode. I'm, I, I don't know which it is. It could be either. Either little, way, it'd be pretty upsetting. little self-fulfilling prophecy if it's the latter. So... The rip has opened up in time. Dargo, Aaron, John, and Jewel are all back in time now. Mm. And there are flaming arrows coming at them. The only person who gets hit is Jewel, though. I don't like Jewel, but I do feel bad for her in this episode because she's sort of the punching bag. Quite literally in some instances. Like just now when she got pierced with arrows. It's weird because I feel like a lot of her reactions to stuff are reasonable, but since everyone else is dealing with equal, if not worse, things, then 
it just makes her come off like a baby. Yeah. It's like uh, Tammy in the Lice episode of... Uh, of Bob's um, Burgers? Yeah. I can't believe this is happening to me. It's happening to all of us, Tammy. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's like... The thing about Jewel is... If you're not gonna help, stop. Stop actively hindering. Yes, exactly. Well, I, who I, are you, Dargo? Right? I, and not anymore, right? Because Dargo's actually helpful now. Yeah. I, I do like that Jewel says, I can't believe I got shot at a peace memorial. Yes, but she won't stop screaming, so Aaron just knocks her out. Aaron just like, right cross. But before she does that, she pulls out the arrow. Uh, the not wh- which you're supposed to do. She pulls it through. She, she does it. Yeah, she does it the right way she, by pulling it through, as opposed to trying to pull it out. Yes, and all of a sudden they are surrounded by the peacekeepers who who are defending the the monastery. And I love Erin. She is the greatest of all time. She does not spend a single second. Like, trying to get her bearings and being all confused and being like, wait, but time travel's not possible. She's like... She hits the ground running. Yeah. She says, we heard your call for reinforcements. I'm Aaron. This is a Luxon mercenary that we picked up. We were attacked. We're all that's left. We're here to help you defend the, the monastery. Mm. She's, she specifically asks for hero guy. Deacon. Yeah. And they're like, Deacon? He's like a sub-private. Yep, sub-officer Deacon. And clearly she's, uh... Special ops or whatever. Oh, yes. She she does claim to be, you know, one of those peacekeeper marauder secret forces. That I... ironically she always wanted to be. Which is weird because apparently they're, like, looked down on. I never got that. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's... I. I... I think it's similar, and I, I think I've probably talked about this before, but I think it's similar to the Scourge of God in Medieval Legend. Mm. A a person who does the work that needs to be done, even though it's abhorrent to God, but the work that God needs to be done. So the person who goes out and does the, and, and, and does the fighting, like kills people to protect the innocent. Mm. So the Scourge of God is a person who is both revered and holy because he he is doing the work that needs to be done at god's behest but also is condemned to hell because in order to do these things he must sin and i think you know subtract the religious element from that i think that's what the marauders are are viewed as you know Mm -hmm. they do what needs to be done so for that reason we venerate them but also they do a lot of bad shit so we, we we don't trust them we don't like them so nobody hangs out with them socially exactly so the fighting continues, and I love how John's like, "I've read a bunch of time travel stuff. Just try not to kill anyone." Right? Even as he's attacking the Venix, he's like, "Ah, don't die!" He's like, "Just knock them out. No one step on a butterfly. I don't want to be in an Ashton Kutcher movie." God. So, I mean, I know it's TV. Being knocked out isn't great for you. Eh. Eh. Up on Moya. Pilot and Chiana realize that stuff is weird. Uh, Pilot's like, hey, when we landed, this was a peace memorial, but now there's, like, a settlement of Venix who are telling us to get the fuck out of here. Yeah, that's 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 off. Okay, so all of the time travel stuff is just 
directly affecting the planet, but not space. Time travel doesn't reach out into space. Okay, so the problem with time travel... uh, uh, There are a lot... Okay, sorry. Time travel. Hmm. Don't worry about it too much. Like... To, like, the the general gist of what I'm going to say is going to be don't worry about it too much. But this is definitely one of the problems with time travel stories is that you want the characters to notice the timeline changing around them. But if the timeline really changed around them, then they themselves would also be different and etc. You can't just throw in something about Shiana wearing time-proof pants. Funny that you say that because the Quantum Leap novels. Yes. By the way, a uh, plug for a new monthly podcast I'm doing of Welcome to Television Book Club. <laughs> the Quantum Leap novels say that the time travel institute that Sam Beckett is from has a bubble of protection around it. So the people who are in the institute know what's being changed, even though literally everywhere else in the world is, is being affected by it. But this is a real case of, you know mst3k mantra just repeat to yourself it's just a show i should really just relax yes but there are actually i'm just going to bring it up now so that we can dismiss it Mm -hmm. there are two different time travel common time travel issues happening here one is that the people who are there are aware that the timeline is changing around them Mm -hmm. and the other is that time in time is moving forward simultaneously in the past and in the present yes although it's not simultaneously it's moving much faster in the past than in the present they live several days and when they come back out i get the impression it's only a few hours later Mm. but theoretically time in the present shouldn't move at all the past already happened you remember in uh best friends whenever when they like really casually mention the fact that going back in time destroys the timeline you know, from before they went back in time uh-huh. to a person in a timeline that was about to stop existing. Yeah, yeah. They were like, oh, don't worry, you won't exist soon. Like, weirdly dark Disney tween show. God, I love that show. Let's Time travel done. Well, it, it, it has its own consistent rules for time travel. Right. That are mostly consistent. Second season's not as good as the first season, though. Yeah, that's just true. So, after the battle... Speaking of time travel problems, they all gather and they try to figure out if they've done anything really bad to mess up the timeline. And funnily enough, Aaron has brought a brochure from the... Yeah, from the memorial. Yeah, she had one with her when they went through the time rip. So she has the little information about how everything went down in the the prime timeline, in the proper timeline. That really should change, too. It really should. But you know what? I don't worry about it. I I love time travel stories, and this is I, I feel like this is a really well done one. So, the thing about the monastery is there's, there's a field kind of around it so that nobody can use their weapons. That's why everybody was fighting with flaming arrows before. And Aaron realizes that their pulse pistols still work because they're modern. Modern pulse pistols, so they're not affected by the field. Yeah. And I love this, Dargo's Quatha Blade is an ancient weapon, so it doesn't work. Huh. Uh, John sees that one of the Venex that they knocked unconscious is the guy, the, the head guy who arranged the peace negotiation. So even though they didn't kill anyone, they have now captured the guy who definitely should not be captured. 
Meanwhile, the nurses are treating Jewel for her flaming arrow wound. They give her something to dull the pain. And she's like, oh, that's nice. It's a nice thing. When so many bad things have been happening to me. What is in this nice thing? And the nurse Never ask! Why would you ask, Jewel? Why, what would you have to gain from asking? The nurse is like, look, it's one part water and it's nine parts urine. Philip urine. Philip. Which I bring up only because we've heard before that Philip nectar is is an alcoholic beverage. Uh, so it's, you know, it makes sense that like the urine would be like kind of a weird distilled intoxicant. Yes. Uh, so Jewel starts flipping out because she's like, you made me drink urine. And it's like, oh my God, Jewel. Are you in pain now? No? Then shut up. Also, the liquid is bright green, so I can't help but think of Slurm from Futurama. I was just about to say, milk comes from a cow's behind, honey comes from a bee's behind. Yeah, exactly. There's that coffee that has to pass through a monkey's poop. I'm unfamiliar with this coffee. Okay, so there's a kind of coffee that, like... The monkeys eat the coffee beans, and then they pass the coffee beans undigested, and, like, that's what they make the coffee out of. This is a real thing. I 100% believe you. It's just, come on, Jewel. It's a, it's a delicacy, because that's what rich people eat. The <laughs> trash parts of food. To make another Futurama reference. Yeah, wow. But... <laughs> You could describe this whole episode as them doing the nasty and the pasty. The nasty being, of course... War. Aiding and abetting a genocide, yes. God. But, yeah, Jewel's like, I drink pee! And Targo's like, oh my god, Jewel, shut up, we don't have time for you right now. Everyone's so mean to Jewel, which is funny for most of the episode. So, Aaron, meanwhile, decides to go talk to Daikon, and the, the hero... And this is this is a real never meet your heroes moment. Yeah, Daycon's like a. He's the cook. I was gonna say he's like a twink. Oh yeah, he is also a child, and that's another thing that I really appreciate about this episode. Like, he's like a nineteen-year-old skinny kid, and that's who fights wars. Yeah, Aaron, because Aaron's like, "What are you doing here? You're not a soldier." And he's like, "Yes, I am." But he he goes back and he's like, no, I'm a cook. But he's a this... he's a sustenance preparer. Yeah, but like, this is who fights wars, Aaron. Like, it's kids. It's always been kids. So he says to Aaron, I he tells her that he was scared and he didn't really know what to do, and he was so glad when she showed up because he was afraid that everyone else was going to get killed and he was going to have to take charge. Wah, wah. Yep. See, you can change the timeline without killing anyone. But Aaron tells him, you know, I'm special ops and you are the one who's been here and you know the, you know. The, the situation. Yeah, so guess what? You have to take over anyway. And he's like, no, you do it. You. <laughs> and she's like, uh. Meanwhile, John is having an enemy mine situation. Well, he's trying to fix things with. With the head cat guy. Yeah. Uh, well, Aaron tries to fix things with Dakin. And he's like, hey, you know what? You should sue for peace. I know that that's what you were going to do. You should still do it. And I promise 
all of the soldiers will be gone. If you leave and then come back and say, we want peace, there will be no peacekeepers here. You, you can be the peacekeeper. Be the peacekeeper you want to see in the world and keep the peace. Meanwhile, uh, Stark has got the helmet back on and he's looking for a new rip in, you know, time so that they can go back to their present time. And he's like, I see one. It's over there. And Durga's like, oh, neat. And he just shoves Jewel really hard into a wall. Okay, okay. <laughs> it is just way funnier than it has any right to be. It's, like, so mean. That's, <laughs> like, it, it's terrible. Like, I, I'm like, I feel bad. I shouldn't be laughing at this, but I'm laughing at this. He, like, is trying to shove Jewel through the terror, but he can't see it. Stark can see it. And he throws her right into a wall. And it <laughs> and, shouldn't be funny, but it is. I mean, and, and, it, it's meant to be funny. Yeah. But... And Stark's like, no, it, it's over there. Yeah, it's a little bit to the right. <laughs> and Dark like, picks up Joel and shoves her through it again. And this time she goes through it, but she lands in mud. It's like, remember what happened to Lyle, uh, Ursula's fiancé, in the live-action 90s George of the Jungle movie? No, what happened to him? Well, he took all of these, like, really cartoonish pratfalls because, as the narrator said, you know, because it was very tongue-in-cheek, fourth-wall-breaking movie, like... This is what happens to bad guys mm. in kids' movies. Like, well, I mean, Back to the Future, there's, like, a running thing where Biff Tannen in every... Timeline. In every timeline gets covered in, in manure. Excrement, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like, it's it's a thing in kids' movies. There's, like, very goofy pratfalls. Yeah. And it's it's very cartoonish considering how dark the episode ends up getting. Well, I was just going to say, uh, contrasting that goofiness, like, Jewel is literally throwing a fit on, on one side of the time rip where she's, like, banging on the ground and, like, oh, I had to drink piss and now I'm in mud and I got shot with an arrow. And meanwhile, Stark, because he's looking through the time rip, is seeing that in the future, present, whatever. Billions have died. Yeah, he's seen all the people that died that hadn't died before, but now because of... Yeah. Yeah. Because turns out war begets more war, so... Yeah. And he starts freaking out. And, of course... He, he has a he has a my side your side moment again and Dargo's like no we're not doing that anymore. My sister, my daughter, my sister, my daughter. <laughs> He's like Zan is gone. That means you are no longer an NPC. You are a player character. Get your shit together. We have Jewel for the one who doesn't have her shit together. You get your shit together. <laughs> See, I I think I think it's an interesting pattern in Farscape that. When they acquire more useless characters, the former useless characters have to step up and stop being useless. I'm mm -hmm. looking directly at you, Dargo. Yeah, well, Dargo has stepped up. So, Stark says... So he's, like, channeling Zan, and he says, Well, as Zan always says, do right by the wrong, goddess helps us all along. And then he, like, moves his hands around his face like he's Zan, and... Yeah, I remember... I've been wearing... It's my necklace. I, I'm always wearing my necklace. I've been wearing it the whole time. Right, That's yeah. a Gallivant reference, by the way. Yes. Uh, we've never heard Zan say that. Yeah. It's... Honestly, it's one of my favorite bit. It's not one of my favorite bits, but it's a it's a very good wink and nod. In Gallivant? In Gallivant, where she... she uh, Princess Izzy acts like the plot necklace that's very important to the second season... Has been with her the entire time, and the jester's like, 
No, no I'm pretty sure not. Galavant's such a good show. You should watch Galavant. Yes, if you haven't watched Galavant, it's definitely worth watching. Alan Menken wrote the songs for it, and mm-hmm. unlike other certain musical shows I could mention, they're pretty original. They're not just riffs on existing songs, except for the uh, Summer Lovin' riff. I, I, I don't finally. know. I don't know why you're giving so much shade to Schmigadoon right now. No, I, I, I shouldn't throw shade on Schmigadoon. I just, I didn't realize that all of the songs were basically numbers barely filed off of existing musical songs. Like, whatever whatever that Jane Krakowski song was, it's literally just uh, In My Fashion yeah. from Kiss Me Kate. Like, literally, it's the exact same song, but with the lyrics changed. A tribulation is just trouble. Yeah, like... It doesn't... I. I still like them. It doesn't make it less good. No, it, it doesn't make it less good. It's just weird that these are all very established musical numbers from other shows just changed very, very slightly. See My Vest is just uh, Be Our Guest, and that doesn't make it one of the greatest, and that doesn't make it not one of the greatest Simpsons songs ever. That is true. That is very, very true. So, since uh, Stark is channeling Zan right now, Aaron turns to Dargo and says, hey, do you feel left out? We're the only two without people in our heads. And. Oh, is that, is that foreshadowing something? Well, it's not, it's a dig at John, because I really feel in this episode, Aaron is really angry at John. And it's true that some of the stuff he does, I was going to say makes things worse, but I, I, I don't think that, I think he does the best he could under the circumstances. I mean. Let's not overlook the fact that this is all directly his fault for putting the helmet on Stark. Oh, okay, yes, yes. Um, but Aaron gets is is very angry at John. She has a lot of anger, and I think that she was willing to give her life for John. Like she died because he was taken over by Scorpius. By Scorpius. But the fact that Zan died to save her. I don't think she's ready to forgive John for causing Zan's death. Mm. And especially not as long as he has this ghost of the chip in his head still that he's not willing to try to get rid of. So, yeah, I think that there, Aaron has a lot of anger towards John. And I think it's it's obviously justified, but it's also, you know, really tragic. It's like the the height of tragedy. It's a little thing... But I kind of appreciate that Zan isn't the focal point of this episode, just sort of because her death took so long. And usually after a major character dies, there's sort of, not to go back to Buffy, but there's sort of an episode addressing their death. Mm-hmm. But I feel like they got a lot of that out of the way with her death episode. And also she was dying for so long. But I, I, I appreciate that Zan is, like... Her death is recent, and it it's in everyone's minds, but it's not really the focal point of the episode. Well, I yeah, I like that the fact that she died informs how everyone is reacting to the situation. It's one of the things I love about Farscape. Like, things impact people, and, and it moves on. Like, like, time... The wounds that people acquire continue. Back on the ship, Chiana's noticing that things are actively getting worse on the planet. Like, as stuff is happening in the past, things are getting worse on the planet. And Joel's like, hey, hey, pay attention to me. I could help. 
I could be useful. Why are you ignoring me? I'm so much smarter than you. God. And Chiana's like, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. <laughs> uh, so in the past, I guess, Aaron wanted to use the pulse pistols that still work to, you know, win this war. And John's like, we can't. We can't change the past. And this is all your fault, John. He also, he also th- says he's going to try something else, and then he takes off without telling Aaron his plan, which is what is going to lead to the failure of that plan, and then he's going to say that he didn't have time to tell her, and that is a flat-out lie. They're just not communicating with each other. It's like, the tragedies cause more tragedies. Oh, good. A lesson in preserving timelines for Mr. I'm-my-own-grandpa. Yeah, I was definitely thinking that line. Aaron has a heart-to-heart with Dacon about how, you know, he, he did join a military, but he uh, he didn't realize how, how hard it would be to be facing your own death, which is what he's doing right now. And I guess this is from before, you know, peacekeeper military service being mandatory. Okay, so it's not mandatory. Crace was pressed into service because he had a talent they needed. Mm-hmm. Um, and Aaron was born into service, but not everybody has to serve. Like, you might have to serve if the peacekeepers decide they need you, but it's not like the Israeli could, army where everyone serves. Could she have opted out? I mean... Aaron couldn't have opted out. So, so if they decide they want you, you can't opt out, but they don't want everyone. Okay. And in fact, when, uh, when... Dacon is talking about joining the peacekeepers and he asks Aaron about it and she says that she was, you know, born into service. He's not surprised that's a thing that already existed Mm. even 500 years ago. So John is talking with Cat Peace Guy and he's like, hey, so, you know, the soldiers are going to be gone soon. Please don't kill all the women and children. And the cat guy's like, we don't want to kill women and children, but when our dander is up, we, we have to kill women and children. And John's like, if the soldiers leave, will that stop you from getting your dander up? And the cat man is like, why, yes. Yes, it would. Uh, the cat man also lets him know that the reason they're attacking in the first place is that their water dried up and the only source of water around is inside this monastery now. Like, the monastery has, like, is on top of the underground river or whatever. And I don't think that John is being, I mean, it works. He is, he is doing it, but he's like, look, I know that your people are barbarians who get their dander up and then can't control their barbarian rage, but you're rational. You're not like other cat people. God. So, I mean, I I, I really, I really hate to do this, but, why can't they just leave? Who? The nurses. They're surrounded. It's a siege. Okay, but they can't, like, fly away in spaceships? They, they don't have a ship. They live on this planet. Okay, but the peacekeepers couldn't just send down a ship to pick them up and leave. I don't think so. I mean, I, mean, I, I, I don't think, like... I don't think, like, effectively they'd be able to. I, I'm going to have to assume that any transport that could take all of the nurses, it's not like they could land it inside of the monastery. And it's a siege. Yeah, but, like, it, it just, it really feels like this is a hard 
plot to do when you space yeah because like what would stop a ship from like just hovering outside of the anti-blaster zone shooting a path clear so the nurses could get you know within pickup range um well it's difficult for ships to enter atmosphere it needs to be a specific kind of ship in order to enter atmosphere Mm. um the prowlers couldn't actually take anybody. Prowlers are like a one-person ship. Mm. So it would have to be a transport. Aaron tells them when she shows up and she, like, immediately hits the ground running and is like, yes, we're, we're peacekeepers. She tells them that they scaled the cliff to get there. So theoretically, that means that there is a place on the other side of a steep cliff face that is big enough for a ship to land. And outside of the range of the cat people army that is sieging this monastery right now so theoretically the peacekeepers could have landed a transporter there but then they would have to take have everybody scale down the mountain and the peacekeepers that aaron is talking to have said that they called for reinforcements so it's quite possible that's what they wanted and that's what they were planning to do even though it would have meant getting a bunch of nurses and nuns to scale the the cliffside but of course we know no reinforcements ever came okay the cat people just want the mountain though right like there's not a good reason for them to kill everyone they could just theoretically drive everyone off right that that's that's why that's why there was a peace originally yeah originally they got there and they were like oh it's just a bunch of nuns i guess we won't kill everyone we'll just make peace and uh and now they're like well we were ready to let everyone go but we just hate Crichton so much he does not make friends everywhere he goes. He does not. So we get a short scene where Dargo is talking to one of the nurses and bonding. And then we get a scene where Stark is talking to uh, one of the kids. She's like, what are you, 12, 13? Yeah. She's talking to Stark and uh, she's like, why are you crying? Why are you crying? Are you like a baby? Are you a big giant man baby? Boo-hoo, I'm sad. My dad died and I didn't feel anything emotions are for babies we don't have space for emotions here and stark's like no emotions are are good you should have emotions they they're good emotion good he 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 just reaches out and hugs her because he can oh it's making me cry well he's like look you are you still have those emotions like just because you push them very far down doesn't mean that they're not there And, in fact, pushing them very far down means that it's going to be so much worse for everyone when they finally come to the surface. But he doesn't say any of this. This is all just completely apparent in his face. And he hugs her. Because he, of course, can feel all of her emotions with his, like... As you said when we were watching the episode. It's like he has all of the worst parts of being psychic. Yep. Like, he has all of the fainting and screaming and pain when someone around him has a negative emotion. It's all the worst parts of being psychic for Star. <laughs> yup. So, John is enacting his plan, which involves dressing the head cat guy up like one of the one of the female nurses. And climbing up the wall and sending him off to his people so he can tell them that they're going to negotiate a peace. But, as I mentioned... John didn't tell a single person that this was his plan. So one of the nurses shoots and kills the peaceful cat person and is like, John, you are a traitor. 
We are going to capture you and tie you to the plinth in the middle of our monastery. Yeah. God, poor Stark. He, he falls to the ground. He's like, stop the killing. It's, it's, it's Stark is such a theater kid. <laughs> It's true. I, I, there's this TikTok that's like, it's a trend in TikToks that's the difference between musical theater acting on stage and musical theater acting in the movie. Mm-hmm. And Stark is just doing stage acting while everyone around him does television acting. And honestly, I'm here for it. I love it. Okay. So one of the things I love about the 80s Teen Titans run, the original run with Raven, uh-huh. is that she's basically a theater kid. Uh-huh. Like, she gives these long, dramatic speeches at the drop of a hat, and she's always like, Oh, if only I could feel emotions, but I can't, because if I feel emotions, then my father, Trigon, will emerge, and... Plunge the world into everlasting torment. And then later versions of the character just completely lose that, like because the cartoon popularized goth I, goth chick. Yeah, goth chick. When she was theater chick. Yes, theater kids and goth kids. There is a lot of overlap, but they are not exactly the same. I just love her giving, because originally it was just all these long, super dramatic speeches about how she's not allowed to feel emotions. What do you think you're, what do you think that that's coming from, Raven? But yeah, no, Stark kind of reminds me of that because he's just, he plays everything at a 10. Yup. Yup. So John is trying to convince them that he was doing this because that guy was going to help them get a peace agreement and that the the Venix, the cat people, they want to make a peace. So all you need to do is go to them and they will definitely make peace with you. And just then a flaming arrow with a hollow message on it comes through and he's like, um... The new leader of the cat people now that they've killed the old leader of the cat people. Yeah, he's like, I can't believe that you not only killed our leader, but dressed him up like you to, I don't know, mock him? You put him in women's clothes. We're going to kill all of you. Yup. And I mean, ugh. I mean, I guess, I guess they're, they're mass murderers. So a little light misogyny shouldn't be unexpected, but mm. mm. anyway. The nurse is like, see, these are the people you expected us to uh, peace treaty with. He also, the the new leader of the cat people, says, you'll never know how close you came to salvation. And I feel like that justifies John's position, but nobody makes that argument. Mm. Yeah, so we're just going to leave John tied up. So the nurse is stroking her daughter's hair. Her daughter's the 12-year-old who had the conversation with Stark. And, uh, okay, I hate this so much. Yeah. We're doing this kind of... Ken Burnsy pan across the pre-battlefield. Uh-huh. And there's a harmonica playing. And it's Chip Scorpius who's like, it's what? It seemed appropriate, but I really hate the long panning shot with the harmonica playing over he, it. He's playing uh Home on the Range. Yeah. So He says to John, if this whole thing hadn't reminded you of 
those old westerns you used to watch, then I would never have... Uh... Learned how to play the harmonica. No, he would never have heard the song. Uh. And uh, it's so funny that you... I, I really like this sequence because, uh, yes, it's Home on the Range, but it, it feels almost haunting the way that Scorpius is playing it. And yes, it's a cheesy song. And yes, the harmonica is not the greatest instrument in the world. The harmonica may be the worst instrument on earth. It's almost physically painful to listen to. But Chip Scorpius Harvey is like, just think, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't have gotten to, to see all those great westerns in your brain if this hadn't reminded you of them. Mm. Uh, which is an important reminder that he does not know everything John knows. Yes. And also, there's a, a fun piece of trivia here that is not visible, like, at all. Mm-hmm. But um, Scorpius is wearing cowboy boots. And no, that's visible. You can see the yes. cowboy boots. But what you can't see is that on the bottom of the cowboy boots is written Andy. Ah, that's cute. Because uh. that was in John's head, too. You know what they could have done? I mean, since since they already messed with the timeline... You know what they could have done? What? Brought the nurses with them through the through time. the oh, like um, like the way that in Once Upon a Time they dealt with Maid Marian not having to die by bringing her into the future, so she still wasn't there, but she was in the future. Yeah, because I mean, again, since this was apparently going to happen anyway, like uh, again with Maid Marian, she was scheduled for execution, so they're like, well, then it doesn't make a difference to the timeline if we just bring her back to the present with us. Now I will say. That the the cat people are sieging the monastery because this is where the water is. Yeah. But they mentioned there are other cities on this planet. So I think that if they had brought the nurses, the cat people would have come through. And the fact that they were evaded would have gotten up their barbarian range and they might have declared war on the nearby cities. Didn't they do that anyway? No, they made the peace. I, the peace with the monastery was presumably extended to the rest of the planet that's why the planet is no i mean in the new timeline they end up with oh yeah i mean they end... oh what you're saying is it wouldn't have been worse than where we're going to be at the end of this episode yeah because the timeline spoilers for the end of the episode you're listening to the podcast you're going to know how this ends anyway for the end of the episode the timeline that ends up getting fixed on the planet is the one where billions of people die in the venic uh-huh. and the venics become the primary species on the like, since that was going to happen anyway, you might as well have brought the nurses through. I mean, I know you were, I guess, hoping that they would not murder all of the nurses, even though they were pretty clear that they were going to. Okay, so speaking of, uh, John is consulting Head Scorpius about what to do. And this is when he gives us the information about how time travel works. And time travel in this world works on the principle that the timeline wants to reassert itself. Time time is elastic, but it wants to snap back. Mm-hmm. So if they can get things... Close enough. Yeah, then everything will kind of fall back into place. Unless they've changed too much stuff already, which they very clearly have. Yes, but that's why John doesn't want to bring the nurses back through the time rip. Because he thinks that they can get everything to snap back into place. Wrong. Hmm. So... John is talking to Aaron and he's like, hey, so we kind of need that guy, you know, the the kid soldier. We need him to deliver the peace message and, you know, die horribly while delivering the peace message so that the bloodlust is sated, but also they're open to peace talks. And Aaron's like, 
no is he's it? 12 yeah and we I see mean, a he's... shot of him that's so well composed because it's like he's god a... he's not 12 he's like 19 yeah but oh so aaron knows that she's gotta send this kid to his death in order to save the the nurses in the monastery in theory in theory and John's like, you know, he's gonna die no matter what we do, right? Like, if if he doesn't give the speech, the the Venek are still gonna overrun this place and kill him. So, you know, he might as well die saving a bunch of people. And Aaron's like, is this a trolley problem thing? Is this is this a trolley problem thing where it's like a guy is going to be hit by a trolley either way, but if you shove him into the path early, it will knock the trolley off. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. Yeah, no matter what happens, this guy's going to die. But if you kill him, then uh, you'll save some other people. Yeah. So one of the nurses goes to talk to Stark, who is sitting amongst the dead they buried. And she's like, if we die. And he's like, hey, when you die. (laughs) Everybody dies. It's like that book, Everyone Poops, except with death. Yeah. But she knows that he, you know, ushers people to death. She wants to know what happens when you die. And that's when he says the uh, title of the episode, Different Destinations. And he doesn't know until someone is at, you know, at the moment of death. He doesn't know what their destination is. So he can't tell her what's going to happen when she dies. But he tells her that when she dies, she won't be alone, which is both comforting and not comforting at all. Yeah. I mean, they're all going to (laughs) die. They could have at least taken her kid through the thing with, like, because, like, you could have at least taken the children. Right? Ugh. Okay, so now Darko has a scene with the girl, and oh my god, it's it's too much for me. It's really rough. It's, she talks about... Rough in that it's super emotional, not rough in that it's bad. Yes. Uh, because they are also talking about death, and she's like, will anyone remember me when I'm gone? You know, I'm thinking about all of the people who died and all of the people I didn't know who died, and how they're just gone forever. They're not even in people's memories. And Dargo's like, well, put your mark on the wall. Leave your mark on the world, and then people will see it, and they will think of you, even if they don't know they're thinking of you. And uh, she she does. She puts her uh, mark on the wall, and she's like, there. And he's like, yeah. So, how long do your people live? And <laughs> she, she says, will I ever see you again? And he, he... Yeah, he's like, how long do your people live? And she's like, well, my grandma lived 500 cycles. 700. 700 cycles. So, I guess they're not... Uh, sebations. They're not sebations, even though they're completely human looking. Yeah, they're just like a sebation-like race. Mm. But I do like that. Uh, to, to kind of walk away from this very dark scene... Um, I, which is obviously only dark in retrospect, but to step back from this very dark scene where when Dargo's like, oh, I don't know how long do your people live? Um, it makes me think of... Uh, Joey's play. No. Friends. No, that... No. <laughs> um, no, Guinan in Star Trek The Next Generation. Uh. In the episode Time's Arrow, Picard runs into her and he's like, oh my God, Guinan! And she's like, I'm sorry, do I know you? And he's like, I just time traveled. Did you time travel? And she's like, oh, no, I didn't time travel. But my people live for like a really long time. So look forward to meeting you later. <laughs> now, Michelle, when I come back from my space mission, it'll be hundreds of years later. 
and you'll be long dead. But tell your great-great-granddaughter to look me up. <laughs> I, I, I... Really want to see that play. Yes, I don't have time to go off on a tangent about the play that Joey does in those, those, that sequence of episodes in Friends, but I really need to talk about it at some point with someone. I love, I just, I love how we spend so much time with the play and it, we don't get the twist until, like, they spent so much time building that up. They set it up like it's a kitchen sink drama and then it's like a sci-fi play. I love it. So, Farscape. Yes. Aaron tells Dakin that he has to, uh... And he's a very special boy. Yes, but also he's the one who has to send the message. Hmm. And she calls him a hero, and he's like, I'm not a hero. Heroes are people who die. And she's like, uh, oh. Literally seconds later, he <laughs> dies. Like, what? I, honestly, though, I mean, as far as last words go, it's not that bad. It's not. It's not the worst. Either this wallpaper goes or I do. To be fair, he also knows that he's going to die. Yeah, like, it's, it's a wry comment. Yeah, like, he's like, oh, I'm not 100% going to die. And then he immediately gets shot and he's like, ugh, dead. Back on the ship, Chiana looks down and the planet's like in flames. And back in the past, Stark has the helmet on and he's like, okay, now everyone's dead. Before it was just billions of people, but there were still like people alive on the planet and now just everyone's dead in the future and it kind of makes it so that like the later stuff like when we see like the next worst thing the planet's just gone but at that point who cares everyone's already dead that's a good point like i know it's supposed to show that they're messing up the timeline more but like you're not really if everyone's dead then you're kind of past the point of messing up the timeline yeah so the, the Venix, the cat people, are attacking the monastery now, like, actively attacking it. And Aaron's like, this is not what suing for peace looks like, John. Looks like your idea was bad, and you should feel bad. And he's like, hey, untie me so I can fight. And Aaron's like, okay. And she starts to untie him, and the nurse is like, hey, he's a traitor. And Aaron's like, yeah, but we have guns that work, so you should let us fight. And she's like, I'm sorry, What? You had guns. Why weren't you using them earlier? And Aaron's like, hmm, that's a good question, isn't it? Which is not an answer, but okay. Well, I mean, the way she looks at John, obviously, he's the one who. Yeah. So John, John kind of just shrugs and he's like, okay, fine. Look, we'll just kill as many people as necessary. And then there's a very long scene of them just going pew, 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 pew. She instructs John to fire his weapon and just basically like run around back and forth firing his weapon so that it seems like there are more people, which is a good, good plan, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's as good a plan as they can have. Yeah, John's like, that doesn't seem smart. And Aaron's like, I'm sorry, do you have a better plan? And he's like, not really. Dargo's just, like, hitting people because his pulse thing is so old. Well, it's still a sword. That's the yeah. thing. Like, he's got a sword gun, but it's still a sword. Use your phony guns as clubs! That's The Simpsons, not Futurama, but still. I, I know you said that it wouldn't be, like, a very effective thing in this, but I feel like he should be tonguing people at the same time. Like, yeah, it, I, it wouldn't split his focus that much, would it? I just feel like tonguing isn't, isn't a good, um attack when there's a lot of enemies because like i think you're vulnerable when you're tonguing and anybody who's near you gets like an attack of opportunity mm. 
So the planet's gone and back in the present. And Jewel starts freaking out, which is like, Jewel, come on. And Chiana asks her if the... Uh, like, your screaming doesn't help. Yeah, you're you're not helping the situation. Chiana asks, is is your arm still in pain? Like, did has the thing worn off yet? And just like, actually, the thing is starting to wear off. Thank you for asking. And then Chiana just punches <laughs> her really hard where the arrow wound was. And this is where I felt bad for Jewel. Because I've been laughing at all of the horrible things that have happened to her up to this point. But this was... For some reason, this seemed like it was... A little too far where I'm like... That was a bridge too far? It was a bridge too far. I can't put my finger on why it's worse than anything else that happened for her. I think it's just because it holds on her and she's like just screaming and crying. And I'm like... I know that Jewel wasn't helping the situation, but hurting Jewel wasn't helping the situation either, Gianna. Yeah. Uh, John, while he's running around shooting, you know, back and forth to make it look like there's more people, shouts out Tony Montana, which is a... Thank you. Scarface Thank you, John. reference. Yeah. Yes. Does Tony Montana ever shout out his own name in Scarface? I don't I don't actually think I've ever seen Scarface. Uh I don't believe he does, but when John shouts it, all I hear is uh Leroy Jenkins. No, um that Lonely Island song with Michael Bolton. Oh, the uh the <laughs> Captain Jack Sparrow because I was I was thinking Captain Jack Sparrow, but I'm like, when was out? Oh, there, the there, there's a Scarface he, he, verse. He's also a... Yeah. I just, I just hear the, his, uh, his belting out, okay, I'm reloading. <laughs> which, which I won't try to imitate. <laughs> Michael Bolton watches a lot of movies, huh? <laughs> Michael Bolton's a straight-up cinephile, y'all. But, yeah, they, they kill a bunch of guys, and there's a temporary retreat, but... They're like, they're just going to come back with more people and slaughter you all. If there's a temporary retreat, wouldn't now be kind of the time to try to get everyone out? And go where? Somewhere else. Like, if they walk through the time hole, things, the, the rip in time, things are going to be very, very bad because uh, the planet had disappeared. Although, now that they've retreated, like you said, the planet is back. Yeah. Um. There's a weird thing here where... The planet disappeared, and Chiana was like, oh no, I'm gonna go look for them, and she took a transport out to kind of see what was going on, and I feel like there should have been more Jeopardy there, where it's like, um... If the planet reappears <laughs> while Chiana's just floating, she'll be, like, merged with it or something. Right, and there's a second where it's like, oh no, everything's thrown off because the planet's coming back, but, you know, it's not real Jeopardy, so it's, like, weird that they like, either do the scene and have it actually be an issue, or don't do the scene. We kind of talked over it earlier, but there's a bit where the little girl's mother kind of pulls Dargo to the side and she's like, look. I felt like this, we should mention it, but I felt like this bit was dark in like the wrong way. Like, it, I didn't need this. Yeah. But, God. She's like, look, the cat people are like, they're barbarians. They're going to brutalize and murder my daughter if they break through i don't want her to live through what they're going to do to her if they break through our lines so and i don't think i'm strong enough to spare her that pain so if they break through i need you to spare my daughter the pain of what they will put her through well i mean her plan is to to kill her daughter before that happens but if she can't either because she's dead first or she is doesn't have the strength to do it yeah there's a bit in The Walking Dead, this was right around when I gave up on The Walking Dead, 
Where oh, they, God. I, I know what you're going to say. But, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, where they've got this, like, temporary society set up. And, like, they, they rescued a bunch of people from this town that, you know, was being run by this guy. He was doing all of this awful stuff to keep the people in the town safe. So a lot of the kids who were in that town really don't have experience with what being... You in know, a zombie world? In a zombie world is like. And, uh... The woman who takes them in when their new stronghold is breached, she takes the kids, you know, she basically takes them out back and shoots them to spare them from having to Mm -hmm. experience what it's like being out in this zombie world, which seemed, it was was this sort of unnecessarily grim thing where I'm like, okay, I'm done with this show now. Okay, so I hadn't watched that far, but I heard about it when it happened because I think a lot of people checked out at that point. Um, hey, here's a good, here's a good time for me to get on my soapbox about how much I hate the the hard equations, the short story. Uh, the shorts, and I, I've t- I tweeted about this when they made that movie that was basically the hard equations, except not, with mm. Anna Kendrick. Yeah. So the plot of the hard equations is that, it, you know, it's, it's a sci-fi story, and the ship is running, uh running medicine to this planet and the guy realizes that there's a stowaway on the ship and he doesn't have enough fuel to get to the planet if this because the weight is very closely regulated so he has to airlock the girl and kill her in space and from the very first time i heard that story like 20 years ago i was like okay but that's you wrote that story Like, you wrote an excuse to kill this girl, and then you killed her. Like, this isn't a true story. This is something that you wrote because you wanted to. Also, not to be that guy, but wouldn't you have noticed that the weight was off before taking off? Well, what I tweeted was that, uh, this is a little off topic, but one of the things I said... Okay, my very first response to the story was... um, you know, you, the writer, wanted to do that. Mm-hmm. My response now, as as somebody who's a, who's a little older, mm-hmm. who's been in the world a little longer, uh, is, I'm still that. But in addition to that, the hard equations, the, the, the title implies that this is just, this is just the math. I, a rational man, can't, can't do anything about it because the math is the math. But the fact is, the corporation that is running this ship decided to run on such a thin margin that this extra weight means everyone will die. Like, that was a corporate decision that was made. A corporate decision was made that there are no protocols in place to make sure there are no stowaways before you leave. A corporate decision it caused this to happen and could have kept it from happening but you the rational man are going to be like oh it's just the math can't can't do anything about it i am now guilt-free killing this girl why wouldn't you have noticed that the weight was off i'm sorry that just bothers me so much there should have been a thing on the ship that noticed the weight discrepancy that should have been very easy to do yes absolutely Another another failsafe that the corporation could have put in. I mean, that's a thing with literal, actual airplanes it, in modern times. The I don't know. It probably costs $2 more. For, I, I'm saying what probably happened. It's not real. As I just stated, it's a story. But, yeah. 
You had to create so many narrative loops to make this thing work. Yes, although to me the thing that makes me angry now is that all the narrative loops that you had to create can come down to corporations care more about getting a little more profit than human life and it's like oh yeah that's that's real yeah unfortunately so let's finish up this episode yeah they so the timeline is reestablished enough enough that the planet is back so the tear is back and they can all get out of there it, it's back to, it's back to the cat people being the primary uh people on the planet now right it's not it's not at the everyone on the planet is dead but the planet is still there well and john john is telling them look i mean he doesn't say what happened in the original timeline but what happened in the original timeline was the venix came in it was all women and children they made peace so we're gonna leave and when we're gone they will make peace with you because they'll see that there are no soldiers here Mm. wrong so we go to commercial as they're walking through the tear and when we come back Chiana and Aaron are on the planet, and clearly there's been some time, like, they've they've debriefed each other about their various adventures, and it's, it's still a, I guess it's a, they don't explicitly say that it's a Venic-run planet, but I think we can assume that. But this place is still a war memorial, yeah. and they say that, you know, they, they're ready to go, and Chiana's like, so who's going to go get John? And Aaron's like, I'll go get him. And Chiana also asks, is there, can you go back through the terror and try to fix the planet more? Because we're still, like, you got it back to the least bad alternate future. Is there any way you can go back and try to make it better? And Aaron's like, no, the terror's not stable anymore. We can't use it to go back. Yeah. So Aaron goes to get John and uh, she tells him that they did the best they could. John is still responsible for, like, millions of people dying, though. And Aaron knows that. Like, when she when she says we did the best we could, like, she's giving John a gift. You know, like, she knows that they probably could have done things differently, but at this point there's no... Also, Stark is, like, in the fetal position on the ground and everyone's just kind of ignoring him because this is loosely his fault. I mean, it's not it's not his fault because he didn't want to put the helmet on, but, like, if he hadn't put that... If the helmet hadn't been put on him, he was the engine through which this genocide was committed. Right. So he's carrying around guilt that really isn't his fault, whereas John's carrying around the guilt that is his fault. And, um, we kind of zoom... We zoom in on the helmet that John just has lying on the ground while Aaron tries to comfort John, and we see into the past the Venic Horde attacking the monastery and demanding that Crichton be given up. And there is no Crichton to give up because he's gone back through the the tear. And since he's gone back through the tear, they're, they they all get massacred. The nurses and the children and everybody gets massacred. Yeah. Whew, it's... It's really rough. And... You, you couldn't have brought the kids through the tear. John thought that everything was going to reassert itself. It feels like discretion would have been the better part of valor here like it's it's not great to leave the kids with like bring a couple of the women all of the children leave enough nurses so that yeah i mean it's not great but but also remember that uh 
I mean, if I was that woman, I would have insisted that they take my daughter. Like, I would have insisted that she come with them. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean... timeline be damned, one body would not make a difference, and if if it was our kid, I would you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, she was going through that. Well, you would have insisted on that if you had understood what was happening. The nurses never knew that they were from the future. But they knew that they were leaving through something. Yeah, but she thought they were leaving uh, up the same cliffs that they had supposedly scaled. I still would have insisted that they... Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, me too, me too. I just... Honestly, it seems kind of irresponsible that they weren't like, if you have an out, you need to take our children. I guess what I'm saying is, um, John is even more at fault because the out that they had was even easier to bring the kids through than the nurses thought it was. Yeah. Yeah. So that was dark as all get out. Yeah. Yeah. Very dark. But like I said, it still holds up like that. It was, it was powerful. Like it's one of the... One of the best episodes of this show. Yeah, this is one of the best episodes of Farscape. It's really funny when it's funny, and it's really depressing when it's not. Yeah. Like, that. this is one of the darker endings. It's basically just, whoops, we genocided. Whoops, we destroyed one of the good things in this universe. Yeah. Oof. Yeah, I also, I mean, I respect that... As somebody, like I said, who loves time travel stories, I respect that this isn't a story where it was like, ah, everything worked out. It's like, no. This is what happens when you fuck with the time stream. Yeah. Oof. All right, so our segments. Yeah, let's do our segments. Aha. Uh-huh. So our first segment is a distant part of the universe, which is what world building worked for you in this episode. I like the concept of the memorial. I, I do really like sort of... Because, I mean, it's... The idea of a memorial to peace? No, I mean, yes, but just the way the memorial is set up so that, you know, there's this helmet you can put on to experience so you can see what it's like now and then experience what it was like when the event was happening. I, yeah, the goggles to the past were definitely my world building thing here. And I'm like, wait, you have goggles that can see into the past? There are so many implications for that i want more i can we talk about this more (laughs) although we also see why they were a bad idea in this particular well i mean what are the chances that a guy with a with a another portal to with a portal to death inside of his head was going to put on those goggles clearly they were too high yeah i guess so (laughs) oh but yeah no i i love the goggles and also you know what i'm going to say it i like the idea that there was a memorial to a battle that didn't happen. Like, that's cool. I can't think of an equivalent thing in, you know, the real world. Mm. Strange alien creatures. Yes! Well, I mean, the only alien creatures we saw here... Uh, obviously, the nurses were an alien creature, but they, they were just humans. Uh, but the Venex, uh, you know, I like that they look like cat people. I like the cat people makeup. It, it was... It was fine. It was... It was fine. I mean, it wasn't one of my favorite creature designs or anything. I appreciate that they put in the effort to make them look, you know. Alien? Alien, but... I I kind of, I think I kind of liked that they, uh... They looked like monster boyfriends. They looked like the Beast from Beauty and the Beast. That they were essentially evil, but were still allowed to look. Yeah. Alien, but also not frightening. 
but also they are frightening because of who they are, not how they look. Mm, yeah. And then our final segment is the wonders that I've seen, which is what emotionally resonated with you this episode. Like the whole second half of the episode? Yeah, like, I weirdly can't pick something out because... Because the whole thing is just this very... I don't want to say long march to death, but... Oh, it is what it is. It's... It's very emotionally affecting. I wasn't... I wasn't as uh, touched as you were. Because... Yeah. You got hit real hard by this. But, yeah. No, it's... This was a really good episode. Yeah, it was. Also, um, next week's episode is, is an interesting one, too. Did they... Did they follow it up with something comedic because no. this was too heavy or okay? No. Do not do not be do not be expecting that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, next week's episode is Eat Me. Alright, is the bone vampire back? No. I know she's not because TV tropes uh told, told you me. that yeah. I've been trying to avoid looking at Farscape stuff on TV tropes, but it pops up sometimes. Uh the plot description from Amazon Prime is Trapped on board a decaying leviathan, Crichton must save Dargo, Chiana, and Jewel from a brain-sucking monster. So it's a different leviathan then, and not Moya, I'm assuming. Yes, it's not Moya. So, that is our show. Yeah, that'll about do it. Our show is partially listener-supported. If you want to be one of those supporters, head over to our website, www.welcometotelevision.net, and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, Ryan, Maracruz, Rosa, Javier, Benjamin, Kyle, Kate, and Jen. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you could always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode, or any episode, or any episode of any television show, you should join our Facebook group, Welcome to Television. We can also be contacted at I Love TV Zines on Twitter, or at I Love Television Zines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. <laughs>